Book One, Chapter Ten of Strangers and Pilgrims by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Strangers and Pilgrims, Chapter Ten. Who knows what's fit for us? Had fate proposed bliss here should sublimate my being, had I signed the bond, still one must lead some life beyond have a bliss to die with dim descried whether lord paulyn's attentions were indeed meaningless or whether serious intentions tending towards matrimony lurked behind them was a question whose solution time the revealer of all secrets did not hasten to afford the viscount spent about three weeks in devonshire during which period he contrived to see a good deal of the vicarage people calling at least twice a week upon one pretence or another and dragging out each visit to its extremest length he was not an intellectual person and had contrived to exist since the conclusion of his university career without opening a book except only such volumes as could assist him in the supervision of his stables or aid his calculations as a speculator on the turf his conversation was therefore in no manner enlivened or adorned by the wit or wisdom of others but he had a little stock of anecdotes and reminiscences of his career in the fashionable world and of the fellows he had encountered there wherewith to entertain his hearers he had also a yacht the pixie whose performances were a source of interest to him and which afforded an occasional variety to his stable talk in fact he made himself so agreeable in a general way during his visits to the vicarage that mrs chevenix pronounced him the most entertaining and original young man it had ever been her good fortune to encounter elizabeth was not always at home when he called but he contrived to spin out his visit until her return an endeavour in which he was much assisted by mrs chevenix who took care to acquaint him with her disapproval of this parish work and her fear that dear elizabeth was undermining her health by these pious labours if she were an ordinary girl i should regard the thing in quite another light said aunt chevenix but elizabeth is not an ordinary girl an opinion in which the viscount concurred with enthusiasm it's all that curate's doing he said why don't you use your influence against that fellow mrs chevenix oh you're jealous of the curate are you thought the matron then perhaps we can bring you on a little faster by that means she gave a plaintive sigh and shook her head doubtfully i regret to say that my influence goes for nothing when mr ford is in the question she said he has contrived to impress elizabeth with the idea that he is a kind of saint you don't think she cares for him asked the viscount eagerly not in the vulgar worldly sense of the words dear lord paulyn said mrs chevenix but she has a sensitive impressionable nature and he has contrived to exercise an influence which sometimes alarms me she is a girl who would hardly astonish me if she were to go over to rome and immure herself for life in a convent that would be a pity said the viscount and it would be a greater pity if she were to marry some stick of a curate but he did not commit himself to any stronger expression than this 
and he left Devonshire without making Elizabeth Luttrell an offer, a fact which gave rise to a few sisterly sarcasms on the part of Gertrude and Diana. Blanche was more good-natured, and was really desirous of having a nobleman for her brother-in-law. But before he departed from his native place, Lord Paulyn dined two or three times at the vicarage, having hung about late in the afternoon in such a manner as to invite Mr. Luttrell's hospitality. "'I don't much wonder that he shirks his mother's dinners,' remarked that short-sighted incumbent, nor did he see any special cause for self-congratulation when the Viscount spent his evenings in hanging over the piano while Elizabeth sang, or in teaching her the profound theories of Ecarte. If the vicar was slow to perceive anything peculiar in this gentleman's conduct, there were plenty of more acute observers in Hawley who kept a record of his movements, and told each other over afternoon teacups that Lord Paulyn must be smitten by one of the vicarage girls. Before the young man had left the neighbourhood, this rumour had reached the ears of Malcolm Ford. He heard this scrap of gossip with a somewhat bitter smile, remembering the Sunday luncheon at the vicarage, and to whom the Viscount's attention had been exclusively given. "'I'm hardly sorry for it,' he said to himself. "'God knows that I have fought against my own folly in loving her so dearly, loving her with no higher hope or thought than a passionate delight in her beauty, a blind worship of herself, a sinful indulgence for her very faults, which have seemed in her so many additional charms.' knowing her all the while to be the last of women to help me on in the path I have chosen for myself, the very woman to hold me backward, to keep me down by the dead weight of her worldliness. I shall have reason to be grateful to Lord Paulyn if he comes between us and makes a sudden end of my madness. And yet with a curious inconsistency, when the curate met Elizabeth in one of the cottages, he saluted her with so gloomy a brow and so cold an air that the girl went home miserable, wondering how she'd offended him. That he could be jealous was an idea that never entered into her mind, for she'd never hoped that he loved her. She went home that afternoon, thinking him the coldest and hardest of mankind, a man whose gloomy soul no act of submission could conciliate, went home and avenged herself for that outrage by a desperate flirtation with the Viscount, who happened to eat his farewell dinner at the vicarage that evening. Lord Paulyn departed and made no sign. Yet it is certain that he left Hawley as deeply in love with Elizabeth Luttrell as it was in his nature to love any woman upon this earth. But he was a gentleman of a somewhat cold and calculating temper, and was supported and sustained in all the events of life by an implicit belief in his own merits and the value of his position and surroundings. He was not a man to throw himself away lightly. Elizabeth was a charming girl, and in his opinion the handsomest woman he had ever seen, and the very fittest to lend a grace and glory to his life in the eyes of his fellow men. A wife he might be proud to see pointed out as his property on racecourses, or on the box-seat of his drag, as his favourite team drew themselves together for the start on a field day at Hyde Park Corner. But on the other hand, there was no denying that such a match would be a very paltry alliance for him to make, bringing him neither advantageous connections nor addition to his fortune. 
and if on sober reflection at a distance from the object of his passion he found that he could live without elizabeth luttrell why he might have reason to congratulate himself upon his judicious withdrawal from that too delightful society mind i shall expect to see you in town early in the season he said to elizabeth when making his adieu a speech which he felt committed him to nothing you mustn't forget your promise to show us the university boat race said mrs chevenix with her vivacious air she felt not a little disappointed that nothing more decisive had come of the young man's admiration that he should be able thus to tear himself away unfettered and uncompromised she had fondly hoped that he would linger on at ashcombe till in some impassioned moment he should cast his fortunes at the foot of his enchantress it was somewhat bitter therefore to see him depart in this cool manner with only vague anticipations of possible meetings during the london season mrs chevenix was well aware of a fact which the viscount pretended to ignore namely that her set was not his set and that it was only by means of happy accidents or diplomatic struggles that she and her niece could hope to meet him in society but he will call no doubt she said to herself having taken a special care to furnish him with her address elizabeth gave a great sigh of relief as the vicarage door closed for the last time upon her admirer she had been gratified by his admiration she had listened to him with an air of interest had brightened and sparkled as she talked to him but it was dull work at the best there was no real sympathy and it was an unspeakable relief to know that he was gone thank heaven that's over she exclaimed and now i can live my own life again after the viscount's departure mrs chevenix began to find life at hawley a burden too heavy for her to bear the ceremonial call which she and her two nieces had made at ashcombe about a week after the dinner there had resulted in no new invitation nor in any farther visit from lady paulyn intimacy with the inexorable dowager which aunt chevenix had done her utmost to achieve was evidently an impossibility so about a week before christmas mrs chevenix and her confidential maid left the vicarage to the heartfelt satisfaction of mr luttrell's household and not a little to the relief of that hospitable gentleman himself december was nearly over a long dreary month it had seemed to elizabeth and since that sunday luncheon at which lord paulyn had assisted malcolm ford had paid no visit to the vicarage elizabeth had seen him two or three times in the course of her district visiting and on each occasion he had seemed to her colder and sterner of manner than on the last gertrude was the only member of the family who made any remark upon this falling away of mr ford's the vicar knew that he worked harder than any other labourer who had ever come into that vineyard and was not surprised that he should lack leisure for morning calls nor had he ever been a frequent visitor at the vicarage but gertrude remarked with an injured air that of late he had ceased from calling altogether i've no doubt he heard that lord paulyn was always here she observed and of course that kind of society would not be likely to suit him i can't see that papa's curates have any right to select our society for us exclaimed blanche firing up at this 
lord paulyn was no particular favourite of mine for he used to take about as much notice of me as if i were a chair or a table and mr ford is always nice but i still can't see that he's any right to object to our visitors no one spoke of such a right blanche answered her eldest sister but mr ford is free to select his own society and it's only natural that he should avoid a person of lord paulyn's calibre elizabeth felt this defection keenly it was not as if she had neglected her duties or fallen away from the right path in any palpable manner she had gone on with her work unflinchingly even when depressed by his coldness her spirits had flagged and the work had grown wearisome she had been constant in her attendance at the early services on dismal winter mornings when the outer world looked bleak and uninviting she had struggled to be good according to her lights perceiving no sinfulness in that flirtation with lord paulyn which had helped to fill her empty life she missed the excitement of these flirtations when lord paulyn was gone it was all very well to declare that he had bored her and to express herself relieved by his departure but she missed that agreeable ministration to her vanity it had been pleasant to know when she made her simple toilet for the home dinner that every fresh knot of ribbon in her hair made her lovelier in the eyes of a man whose admiration the world counted worth winning pleasant to discover that fascinations which had no power to touch the cold heart of malcolm ford possessed an overwhelming influence for the master of ashcombe yet the end of her flirtation with the viscount was hardly less humiliating to her than the coldness of the curate he loved and he rode away she began to think that she had no real power over the hearts of men that she could only startle and bewitch them by her beauty hold them for but the briefest space in her thrall if the viscount's admiration had gone a step farther and he had made her an offer what would have been her reply that was a question which she had asked herself many times of late and for which she could find no satisfactory answer the prospect was almost too dazzling for her to contemplate with a steady gaze had not a brilliant marriage been the dream of her girlhood a vision first evoked by some prophetic utterances of aunt chevenix when elizabeth was only a tall slip of a girl in a pinafore practising major and minor scales on a battered old piano in the schoolroom she had dreamed of horses and carriages and opera boxes and country seats from the hour when she first learned the value of her growing loveliness at the feet of that worldly teacher all that was basest in her nature her ignorant yearning for splendour and pleasure her belief in her divine right to be prosperous and happy had been fostered half unconsciously perhaps by aunt chevenix mrs luttrell was the weakest and simplest of women and had always referred to her sister-in-law as the very oracle of social existence and had fondly believed in that lady as a leader of london fashion to her dying day there had been no home influence in the vicarage household to counteract the chevenix influence and although elizabeth took a pride in defying her aunt upon occasions she was not the less her faithful disciple could she have refused such an offer from lord paulyn could she of her own free will have put aside at once and for ever since two such chances would hardly come into her obscure life all the delights and triumphs of this world 
all the pleasures she had dreamed of it hardly seemed possible that she could have been so heroic as to say no it was very certain on the other hand that she did not care for reginald paulyn that his handsome face had no charm for her that the lingering clasp of his strong hand sent no thrill to her heart that his society after the first half-hour became a bore to her it was quite as certain that there was another man whose coldest look quickened the beating of her heart whose lightest touch had a magical influence and for whose sake poverty would have seemed no hardship obscurity no affliction by whose side she could have felt herself strong enough to make life's pilgrimage over ever so thorny a road i could hardly have been so demented as to refuse him she thought remembering that this one man for whom she could have cheerfully sacrificed all her visions of earthly glory had no desire to profit by her self-abnegation christmas was close at hand and the luttrell girls were busy from morning till evening with the decoration of the two churches but elizabeth performed her share of this labour with a somewhat listless air and did a good deal more looking on than gertrude or diana approved she was beginning to be very tired of her work tired even of her poor people despite their affection for her it seemed altogether such a dreary business uncheered by mr ford's counsel or approbation not that he would have withheld his counsel had she taken the trouble to ask for it but she could not bring herself to do that she remembered that october day in the vicarage garden when they had walked together over the fallen leaves while autumn winds moaned dismally and autumn clouds obscured the sun that day when they had seemed so near to each other and when the dull grey world had been lighted with that light that was never on sea or shore the light of a great joy what would she not have done for his sake if he had only taken the trouble to order her if he had been a redemptorist father and had presented her with a cat and nine tails wherewith to go and scourge herself she would have taken the whip from him with a smile and departed cheerfully to do his bidding but he had asked no more from her than from any other member of that little band of ladies who helped him in the care of his poor and he distinguished her from that little band only by his peculiar coldness she flung down her garland of ivy and holly with an impatient air in the midst of a little cluster of ladies working busily in the vestry of st clement's the decorations whereof were but half completed i shall do no more she said my fingers ache and smart horribly i am tired of the whole business tired of parish work altogether miss melvin looked up at her friend wonderingly with her meek blue eyes why lizzie i'm surprised to hear you say that she exclaimed mr ford says you are the best of all his district visitors because you are sympathetic and the poor people understand you i feel very much honoured by his praise said elizabeth with a scornful little laugh but as he has never taken the trouble to give me the slightest encouragement of late i begin to find the work a little disheartening elizabeth has an insatiable appetite for praise remarked gertrude and i dare say she's been not a little spoiled by lord paulyn's absurd flatteries you have been rather fortunate in escaping that kind of contamination gertie replied elizabeth 
whose temper was by no means at its best on this christmas eve but i assure you it's rather nice to have a viscount for one's slave oh even when his bondage sits so lightly that he's able to shake it off at any moment said gertrude to which elizabeth would have no doubt replied but for the sound of a firm tread upon the stone threshold and the sudden opening of the door which had been left ajar by the busy workers it was mr ford on his round of inspection elizabeth wondered whether he had overheard that shallow unladylike talk about lord paulyn she picked up her unfinished garland and set to work again hurriedly glad of any excuse for hiding her face from his cold gaze he did not stop long in the vestry only long enough for a general good morning and a few questions about the decorations nor did he address one word to elizabeth luttrell her face was still bent over her work and the wounded fingers were moving busily when she heard the door shut behind him and his departing footstep on the pavement of the church he had come to the vestry door just in time to hear elizabeth's flippant speech about lord paulyn a speech which to his mind seemed to reveal the utter shallowness and worthlessness of the woman he had suffered himself to love and yet she has been able to cheat me into a belief in the latent nobility of her nature she has been able to bewilder my reason as she has bewitched my heart he said to himself as he walked slowly down the quiet aisle and out into the bleak churchyard as she has distracted me from better thoughts and higher hopes and has been an evil influence in my life from the first fatal hour in which i let her creep into my heart even the vicar's friendly invitation for christmas day was rejected by mr ford he would have been very happy to join that agreeable circle he wrote but it was a pleasure which he felt it safer to deny himself the services on that day were numerous there were sick people he had promised to see in the course of the day and he should hardly have time for anything else and so on he spent his day between the two churches and those sick-rooms and his night in solitary reading and meditation trying to lift his soul to that higher level whither it had been wont to soar before an earthly passion clogged its wings that he would as far as it was possible to him in his position as mr luttrell's curate renounce and abjure the society of mr luttrell's daughter was a resolution that he had arrived at very promptly on hearing the town talk about lord paulyn's frequent visits at the vicarage i will not trust myself near her he said to himself she has deceived me in the past and would deceive me again in the future i have no power to resist her witchery except by separating myself from her for ever he was just strong enough to do this he had just sufficient force of will to avoid the siren knowing the houses in which she was most likely to be found her customary hours the way she took in her walks knowing almost every detail of her daily life and how easy it would be for him to meet her not once did he swerve from the rigid line which he had marked out for his conduct he saw the familiar figure in the distance sometimes and never quickened his step to overtake it he heard that she was expected in a cottage where he was visiting and hurried his departure straightway rather than run the hazard of meeting her but it is hardly by these means that a man learns to forget the woman he loves it is a kind of schooling that is apt to end another way 
perhaps no man ever yet forgot by trying to forget but he is on the highway to forgetfulness when he tries to remember a poison had entered into malcolm ford's life that sacred calling which demands the service of a heart uncorrupted by earthly passion began to weigh upon him like a bondage it was not that he was in any manner weary of his office but rather that he began to feel himself unfitted for it a deadly sense of monotony crept into his mind he began to doubt his powers of usefulness to fancy that his career at hawley was like the round of a horse in a mill grinding on for ever and tending toward no higher results than that common daily bread the natural result of these languors those painful doubts of his own worthiness was to turn his thoughts in that direction whither they had turned not unfrequently in the days when he had been better contented with his lot he began to think more seriously than ever upon the missionary life which comes nearer to the apostolic form of service than the smooth pastures of the church at home he collected all the information he could obtain upon this subject wrote to men who had the work at heart and who knew where a worker of his stamp was most wanted i have a vigorous constitution he wrote to one of his correspondents and have hardly ever known a day's illness i am therefore not afraid of climate and if i do finally determine to go i should wish to go where such labour as i can give would be of real value where a weaker man might be unfit to face the difficulties and dangers which i feel myself qualified to cope with and overcome do not think that i am boasting of my strength i only wish to remind you that my former profession has in some measure inured me to peril and hardship and that i should be glad to be able to employ some of that military spirit still inherent in my composition in the nobler service to which it is now my privilege to belong i want to feel myself a soldier and servant of christ church militant here on earth in every sense of the word and i do not in my present mood find the work of a rural parish adequate for the satisfaction of this desire End of chapter 10